The more the world changes, the more we find comfort in the things that never change. Never change. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, where your rabbi reveals how the world really works. Welcome, you happy warriors, each and every one of you, bold and brave men and beautiful and courageous women. It's an honor to have the opportunity to speak to you once again, even if the topic is one that uh, concerns me somewhat. Uh, Let us say that I am not diving into this topic uh, with a calm mind and an easy heart. No, I am talking about a problematic question, and that is, why is it that so many virulently anti-Trump leaders in the United States Congress are Jews? That's the question. Just think about the people out there. Think about the the Schiffs and the Nadlers and the Charles Schumers. Think about the uh, four legal uh, professors that were brought by the Democrats to the impeachment hearings. Three of them, Jewish, and so negative and so far from disinterested, so partisan, that one of them was even reduced to mocking the young child of the president and his wife. Um, And again, yes, all three of them Jewish. My friends, you would be entitled to ask why that is, and you would be entitled to expect your rabbi to respond honestly, even if not happily or comfortably. And that is precisely what I propose doing, because understanding Jews is part of understanding how the world really works. That just is a reality. It's not an easy one, but it is nonetheless a reality. And um, I think it, it probably is worthwhile for me to point out that it was early in 1920 when Winston Churchill wrote the following, the following lines. Some people like Jews and some do not, but no thoughtful man can doubt the fact that they are beyond all question the most formidable and the most remarkable race which has ever appeared in the world. Disraeli, the Jewish Prime Minister of England and leader of the Conservative Party, who was always true to his race and proud of his origin, said on a well-known occasion, The Lord deals with the nations as the nations deal with the Jews. Certainly when we look at the miserable state of Russia, where of all countries in the world the Jews were the most cruelly treated and contrasted with the fortunes of our own country, which seems to have been so providentially preserved amid the awful perils of these times, we must admit 
that nothing that has since happened in the history of the world has falsified the truth of Disraeli's confident assertion. The conflict between good and evil, which proceeds unceasingly in the breast of man, nowhere reaches such an intensity as in the Jewish race. The dual nature of mankind is nowhere more strongly or more terribly exemplified. We owe to the Jews in the Christian revelation a system of ethics which even if it were entirely separated from the supernatural would be incomparably the most precious possession of mankind, worth, in fact, the fruits of all other wisdom and learning put together. On that system and by that faith, there has been built out of the wreck of the Roman Empire the whole of our existing civilization. I think, and now we're back to me, I, I think that there's not much in those lines from Winston Churchill uh, with which I would disagree. Let me uh, read just a few more lines of Winston Churchill in 1920, and you will see why it is that I say that if you want to understand how the world really works, you pretty much have to know something about Jews. And so uh, one more paragraph from uh, Winston Churchill. And it may well be that the same astounding race may at the present time be in the actual process bruising another system of morals and philosophy as malevolent as Christianity was benevolent, which if not arrested would shatter irretrievably all that Christianity has rendered possible. It would almost seem as if the gospel of Christ and the gospel of Antichrist were destined to originate among the same people, and that this mystic and mysterious race has been chosen for the supreme manifestations, both of the divine and the diabolical. And of course, it goes without saying that the diabolical to which Winston Churchill is referring is socialism, communism, and the huge destructions of the 20th century that were going to come about because of socialism that hadn't happened. Don't forget, in 1920, World War I had just been finished, and people were basking, not Churchill, but most people were basking in a euphoric uh, intoxication, believing that war was finished for all time and everything would be good. But, of course, thoughtful men knew that this was not the case. Not only did Churchill know that uh, there was still going to have to be a settling of the issue, but even uh, Marshal Folk of the French forces who presided at the signing of the Versailles Treaty, uh, even he said, um, as the treaty was being signed, he said, this isn't peace, it's merely a 20-year armistice. And, of course, in just barely more than 20 years, World War II broke out, and that's why most historians, and I agree with them, consider World War II to essentially be a continuation of World War I. Uh, there is little doubt that World War II wouldn't have come about had World War I never happened, and had World War I been settled a little differently, there's every possibility that World War II wouldn't have happened either. But that's all water under the bridge. Uh, Churchill is acknowledging the fact that the um, Bolshevik Party, 
that had brought about the Russian Revolution just a few years before he wrote these words in 1920 uh, was heavily populated. The leadership was heavily populated by Jews. My goodness, um, it's, it's an extraordinary thing. Um, and uh, it's, it, was, it was everywhere. Um, the, I mean, Karl Marx, of course, uh, Trotsky, as you know, um, Trotsky himself uh, was known as Leon Trotsky, but his real name was Lev Davidovich Bronstein. And, um, and Trotsky was, was absolutely Jewish, I'm sorry to say. Um, it's also true that uh, uh, Bela Kuhn, the socialist, the cruel socialist dictator of Hungary um, before World War II, Bela Kuhn was Bela, was actually his name was, uh, uh, was Cohen, obviously, and um, he, uh, uh, he changed his name to Kuhn um, to, to get away from his Jewish uh, origin. And so he took a Magyar-sounding name. Uh, getting rid of Cohn, he replaced with Kuhn, and that was Bela Kuhn, again, as I say, unfortunately Jewish. There is no getting away from this at all. Uh, Rosa Luxemburg, the um, hugely influential German socialist, Emma Goldman, the communist in the United States. Uh, these people, yes, unfortunately, all Jewish, and we need to try and understand just a little bit of what's going on here. So let's go back to this question of all these persecutors of President Trump, all these, so many of them, conspicuously, disproportionately, so many of them um, are actually Jewish. What is going on here? How do we explain this? Well, let's take a look, first of all, at the the number of Jews in this Congress, shall we? Well, turns out, and you won't be shocked, you won't be shocked by uh, me telling you about the number of Jews in general in Congress. Out of 535 lawmakers in Congress, 100 in the Senate and 435 in the House, um, you want to know how many are Jewish? 34. 34 are Jewish. That's a little more than 6%. Now, let's look at the general population of the United States, and many people are not aware of this. The population of the United States is um, uh, about 330 million people. Now, the Jewish population, let me first tell you what it isn't. It is not 6 million. There never has been any evidence for that number. However, understandably, if you understand how American politics works, uh, since the 1950s, leaders of Jewish organizations have been insisting that our population is 6 million. Well, obviously, you'd imagine that's exactly what they would do uh, in the hopes of emphasizing Jewish political influence and, influ and, and inflating, perhaps, its significance. They came up with this number, uh, very little in the way of substantiation, 
Um, most of the research consisted in doing statistical surveys of telephone directories in some of the cities around the United States. And as you can imagine, that methodology uh, allowed and even welcomed considerable massaging and fudging. And uh, they played around with it until they were able to say our research shows that the Jewish population of America is about 6 million. Uh, it never was, and uh, uh, how, what would be a correct figure? Um, probably at its height, uh, maybe somewhere around about three and a half to four million. Now, I should tell you that uh, I am telling you these realities in spite of the fact that I am going to be subjected to a, uh, a massive um, a cascade of protests and objections and attacks from my co-religionists. Uh, and my only answer to them is, please don't think people are stupid. Do you think if we don't actually speak about the number of Jews in Congress versus our population, you don't think people will notice? No, people can figure it out for themselves. It's just that in the same way, that we all know that it is not acceptable to mention race in the context of American violent crime statistics. We all know it's also not appropriate and acceptable to mention religion in, uh, in, in discussions of disproportionate political influence. Okay, so, um, okay, so... Let us just acknowledge, and again, those of you who, uh, who want to write in and protest, or those of you who want to protest in other ways, I've had it before, you've done it before, and um, welcome, bring it on. There's nothing I can do about it, but I, I just feel I am not going to imperil my reputation for speaking the truth on this podcast and letting people know everything they need to know in order to understand how the world really works. And that being the case, uh, going back to look at what the Jewish population of the United States is, and in a moment you'll see how complicated this is, because how do we discern who is a Jew for purposes of this calculation? Um, if we, for instance, decided to count the number of people affiliated with a synagogue or a temple— uh, the Jewish population would be down at about uh, less than 2 million. And maybe that is one way to uh, ascertain it. Uh, you want to measure the number of American Jews who visited Israel, the figure will be very low. The number of Jews who support Israel, the figure would be very low indeed. Uh, so how are you going to do it? Right? Is Harvey Weinstein a Jew? If you asked him he'd probably say, of course I am. And um, his parents certainly were, so why wouldn't he be? That's what he would say. And, uh, you know, you, you might leap at a possible definition being self-identification. Let's count as a Jew anybody who considers himself a Jew. Well, if you got everybody into a, a big stadium and set up a turnstile and for everyone to walk out and everyone had to answer the question, are you Jewish, you wouldn't get about more than about 2 million people saying yes. You know why? Or less even. 
The reason is because many people would answer by saying, what do you mean? Now, I don't doubt for a moment that those people who say, what do you mean, are people of Jewish ancestry. And please note that terminology I'm now introducing, uh, Americans of Jewish ancestry, uh, because people who are not Jewish would simply say no. But uh, Jews are not going to answer a simple question simply. And so to the question of are you Jewish, um, it's going to be tough to get a straight answer on that. So uh, here's a better definition, but it's hard to, to test. A better definition would be people who self-identify as Jewish even in tough times, in times of serious oppression. And I'm not talking about what many Jews believe to be this oh, growing anti-Semitism in the United States. I'm going to be showing you that I don't think that that is fully accurate. But I'm talking about a really bad time, such as Europe saw in the middle of the 20th century. Under those conditions, who self-identifies as Jewish? And what would our Jewish population be in the United States of America uh, under those conditions? Probably uh, quite low, uh, one and a half to two million, maybe. That's what it would be. You know, <laughs> this is just the reality. But as you can see, we are moving inexorably closer to me being forced to try and arrive at some kind of definition of what being Jewish is all about. But first of all, back to the numbers. So at any rate, 330 million people in the United States of America, if there were 3.3 million Jews, that would be 1%. I don't think there are those numbers. But even if you want to say 4 million, 4.5 million, which is approaching preposterous, uh, you're talking about 1.5%. And certainly it's no more than that. Even those figures are high. So at most, 1.5% of the population is Jewish, and more than 6% of Congress is Jewish. Wow. As a matter of fact, if you divide it up Senate and House, the House is 26 Jews, the Senate is 8 Jews. Well, the Senate's 100 members, and 8 Jews means 8%. So... One and a half percent of the population has eight percent of the senators. Huh. How do we explain that? What's going on there? And of these 34 uh, members of Congress, the eight Jewish senators are all Democrats and, uh, shall we say, aggressive, radical Democrats. And the 26 members of the House who are Jewish, 24 of them are Democrats, and uh, two of them, uh, God bless them, are Republicans, right? Very, um, very unusual. Uh, Representative Lee Zeldin uh, from New York and Representative David Kustoff from Tennessee are Jewish Republicans in the House of Representative, re Representatives. But other than that, all, twin, all other 24 members of the House are Jewish Democrats, and all the eight Jewish senators are Democrats. So what is going on here? Well, you get a little bit of a flavor of it from Churchill's words, 
when he spoke in terms of Jews providing everything that is best and also everything that is worst. Jews providing at uh, one and the same time, providing the world with everything divine, but at the same time also, unfortunately, everything, well, depraved and destructive, everything having to do with socialism and its unremitting war against civilization. In this struggle between what Churchill called the divine and the diabolical, between the Bible-based Judeo-Christian civilization and the diabolical structure of atheistic socialism, secular liberalism, uh, it is clear, as Churchill says, Jews play dominant roles in both. So what do, and he does point out, by the way, that the Jews that have been active in the forces of atheistic Bolshevism and destructive socialism, he does point out that these have all been atheistic Jews. And Churchill is absolutely right about that. As a matter of fact, that raises a very important point for your clarification. Because one thing you do need to know, and again, I am constantly aware of how many of you are listening all around the world. And I, I love that. It's, it's become such an international show. I get emails from you literally all around the world uh, telling me where you are and, and what you're getting from the show. And Please keep those letters coming. I love that. Uh, but I, um, uh, I know you're all over the, the world, and I'm sort of aware that I'm talking heavily about the United States of America now, but not exclusively. And uh, what we do see and understand in the United States of America is a metaphor, if you like, a, a, a model of what we have seen in other places and at other times and things we will continue to see in the future as history rolls onwards in other places and in other times. And, um, and so we've, we've got to realize that uh, in the United States of America – at the present time, and I'm recording this at the end of 2019, uh, at the present time, um, it is a reality that observant religious Jews, Jews who take the five books of Moses seriously, Jews who fear God and who study the Bible, almost without exception, love President Trump, support him, vote for him, fundraise for him, and do everything they can to help him. That's almost without exception. It is equally true that almost without exception, the Jews who are so virulently opposed to the president are those who are atheistically inclined and certainly have no interest whatsoever in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, I think it is absolutely fair and accurate to say that Jews who are loyal and God-fearing Jews, Jews who love and fear the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, are strongly conservative and strongly uh, in favor of President Trump. However, 
And here's the interesting thing, and it's something that Churchill noticed at the beginning of the 20th century, and that is that when Jews abandon the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they do not become neutral. No. They become the high priests and ardent devotees of the religion of secular fundamentalism. That's what they're like. And that's, I think, the key thing to understand. There are many, many people who are completely neutral. They don't think about God very much. They don't care about God very much. They're not terribly concerned whether God created human beings or whether human beings emerged over a lengthy period of time from primeval sludge. It just doesn't interest them. There are many people like that. But this I will tell you, none of them are Jews. Because the peculiarity of the Jewish race is desperately caring about God, either loving him or hating him. That's pretty much how it goes. And, um, and that begins to give us a little bit of an insight as to how it can be that Jewish senators and Jewish congressmen uh, leading this um, dreadful and stupid uh, crusade against the president from the day he assumed the presidency of January 2017, from that very day till today, they haven't stopped in their crusade to destroy him. I can assure you that those Jews, although because the current climate is strong and positive for Jews. It's basically okay to be Jewish today. It's very okay to be Jewish. Um, it's chic and in to be Jewish for the most part. People are happy to be Jewish. Um, nobody's trying to kill. I mean, I'm, I'll come to this, of course, because some people are going to say, but wait, just a few days ago, there was a murder of people in Jersey City at a Jewish store. Uh, but still, let me say, very few people are trying to kill Jews. On the contrary, people are happy to marry Jews. And so um, the, the Jewish uh, identity, when a uh, Gerald Nadler or a uh, Schiff says, yes, I'm Jewish and I'm proud of it, I don't think they would say it if there was a time where you had to sort of make a bit of a sacrifice for being Jewish. And, and I will assure you beyond any shadow of a doubt that neither of those two men or any of the other people involved in this travesty going on in Washington, D.C., uh, not one of them confines his diets to kosher food as Jews are directed to do. Not one of them observes the Sabbath as Jews are instructed to do. And not one of them conducts his marriage along the lines that the five books of Moses instructs Jews to do. So um, uh, that will lead us into the discussion of, so what is a Jew? And let me tell you at the outset, I will uh, acknowledge that God has not appointed me to decide who is Jewish and who isn't. He's really not. Uh, so all I can do is provide you with the guidelines by means of which you can make your own judgments and your own decisions. And the people who are going to be stridently upset 
and uh, viciously angry at me are people who are not practicing or observant Jews, but who nonetheless consider themselves to be proud ethnic Jews, uh, the Harvey Weinsteins or the Nadlers or the Schiffs, and they will yell at me and say, how dare you tell us we're not Jewish? Well, I am not telling you you're not Jewish. I'm saying let your own conscience decide. I'm telling you what constitutes Jewish. And I'll tell you one thing. Jewish is not a belief in God. It goes way beyond that, right? Because uh, Muslims will tell you they believe in God, and they're not Jewish. Um, plenty of people believe in God who are not Jewish. And, uh, and so it's, n it's not that at all. If you want to speak about belief at all, well, it would be then the belief that God took the Jews out of Egypt and gave the world the Torah through Moses on Mount Sinai. What, uh, what Churchill alluded to, as you'll remember, in, in his article from 1920, um, he said, uh, we owe the Jews in the Christian revelation a system of ethics, which even if it were entirely separated from the supernatural, would be incomparably the most precious possession of mankind, worth, in fact, the fruits of all other wisdom and learning put together. On that system and by that faith, there has been built out of the wreck of the Roman Empire the whole of our existing civilization. He's right. We owe civilization, and founders of America said the same thing, we owe civilization as we know it to the fact that God gave the Bible, the Ten Commandments, and the Torah to Moses on Mount Sinai. And if you want to talk of belief, well, then it's that belief that defines a Jew. But wait, I have numerous Christian friends. I, I spoke to a pastor at whose church I'm speaking in January. I spoke to him on Friday. And I'm speaking to his church near Washington, D.C. in the middle of January. And, uh, and he's a wonderful pastor, a, 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 a nationally known Christian leader. And he would tell you without a shadow of a doubt, yes, obviously God gave the Torah to Moses on Mount Sinai. Who doesn't know that? And I would say to him, well, uh, I would tell you that uh, I could identify barely without thinking 20 rabbis of large temples around the United States who would dispute that statement. It's as simple as that. So you see how complicated this gets. They are rabbis. They, uh, they perform and officiate at homosexual marriages. They are not at all confident that God took the Jews out of Egypt. There's a rabbi of a large conservative temple, by the way, in, in um, in Judaism, conservative temples don't mean that they are politically conservative. They are extremely liberal politically. It's just a name of one of the m movements that have sprung up during the 20th century within Judaism. There's a large west side of Los Angeles temple where the rabbi has gone public saying that he doesn't believe the exodus ever happened. Well, that is so foundational. If you think about it, I ask you to glance at Exodus chapter 20 verse 2, where God, on the threshold of presenting the Ten Commandments, introduces himself 
And he says, I am the Lord your God who created heaven and earth. Well, that's what you'd expect, isn't it? No, I'm the Lord your God who took you out of the land of Egypt. In other words, the act of providing an avenue of redemption for each and every one of us at all times and places, God himself considers to be a more noble identifier of himself than that he created heaven and earth. So this is pretty fundamental to Judaism. But uh, again, I have to move away from belief and I have to move towards behavior. And so one of the, and I'll give you one of the definitions I use, but um, as you can see, this is very difficult. This is not as if I can come up with a one-sentence definition. But what I am trying to help you see is that there are many secularized Americans of Jewish ancestry who will tell you they're Jewish, but, and here comes the most critical thing, if you hear only one thing in today's show, hear this. Their entire value system is not derived from the Bible. Their value system is derived from the principles of what Churchill called that diabolical belief, socialism, communism, progressivism, the war against human civilization. That's what you've got to know. There are many people who proudly declare themselves to be Jewish, but whose entire concept of right and wrong is derived from secular socialism and from atheistic liberalism. And then they try and, uh, and insert it into the matrix of Judaism. Well, Judaism says we must love our brother like we love ourselves, and so that's why I'm in favor of homosexual marriage. That's an example of what you get. Uh, and so it's really important, I think, if, if uh, you are going to get some insight into Jews that you kind of do understand this. And, and I say this knowing full well that I'm bringing an avalanche of uh, hostility and, uh, and a cascade of mail. Um, and and it's, it's a nuisance. Let, let me tell you it's a nuisance because everyone has to be read. Many of them are answered and responded to. And it just is, it's an enormous consumer of time and money. Uh, but there is no helping it. I know it's going to happen because I'm saying things that um, really bother simply because everyone knows that they're absolutely true. And so here's another definition. If an invisible detective followed you around for a week, would he see anything that provided him with evidence that you were Jewish. Now, that's an unconventional definition, but it's a fairly good one because it helps bring us home to the reality that Jewish is a behavior. It's a lifestyle. It's not a belief. That's really important to understand. And before I elaborate upon that, let me also deal with something that you may have already heard. Many of you will know it. Certainly Jewish listeners will know about this. And that is that, oh, anybody born of a Jewish mother is Jewish. 
Okay, not correct. Let me tell you what the correct formulation of that is. Anybody born of a Jewish mother who wishes to be Jewish does not need to undergo a formal religious conversion ceremony. You are Jewish by virtue of a decision to act and live Jewish to the best of your ability, not by being born. But because of so much misunderstanding on that, Jews are among the few people who can claim to be religious and atheistic at the same time. Yeah, I'm a proud Jew. And my Christian friends are baffled and puzzled and perplexed by how can it be that somebody says he's Jewish, but he also says he's an atheist? Well, because to him, being Jewish means simply being a, an American of Jewish ancestry and who happens to be an atheist as well. Well, what's the, what's the contradiction? My ethnicity is Jewish and I'm an atheist. My belief system is atheism. My ethnicity is Jewish. And that is why it is that um, when in the year 2000, some of you might remember, the presidential election at that time, uh, which was at the end of the Bill Clinton administration, that president ele presidential election uh, was between George W. Bush and uh, his vice president choice was Dick Cheney. And then on the Democratic side, it was Al Gore, and his running mate was Joe Lieberman. And all kinds of Jewish people around the United States almost hyperventilated in glee and excitement. Oh, this is so wonderful. We're finally making it in the United States of America. Oh, this is incredible. We actually have a Jewish vice presidential candidate. And uh, not surprisingly, uh, liberal Jews all around the country flocked, as usual, to the Democratic ticket, and this time with added levels of jubilation. Oh, and of course, to uh, the Jews in America who took religion seriously and who were God-fearing and who were Bible-believing Jews, they didn't go for it at all because they are not tribalists. You only had to ask what established, what set Joe Lieberman's uh, moral matrix, what set his value system. Was it the Bible and Judaism? No, of course not. Not at all. After all, he came out against school choice. He, he followed the standard Democratic Party ticket. Otherwise, do you really think that, uh, that Al Gore would have picked him? Of course, he, his values were set by secular liberalism. He happened to be ethnically Jewish. And yes, I know he claimed to be uh, religious. And, so, and again, I have not been appointed by God as the moral arbiter of any Jew or anybody else at all. Uh, I just tend my, my life experience and ancient Jewish wisdom tells me, don't go with what people say go on what they do. And all I had to do was follow Joe Lieberman's record in the Senate, 
to know that he was an absolutely unreconstructed left-wing Democrat. That's what he is. That's what he was. That's what he always was. And uh, and so, anyway, needless to say, uh, there was much excitement because, oh, it was wonderful. Al Gore was actually going to become the vice president. Well, uh, you know, the left has a long tradition of not accepting elections that don't go their way. They love democracy as long as it goes their way. And so they fought and litigated against the uh, 2000 election uh, for a long time, and it's an entire saga in and of itself, but um, that is how it went back then. So back to my definition of uh, you want to know if you're a Jew? All we got to find out is if a an invisible private detective watched you 24 hours a day, day after day, how long would it be before he found evidence that you were Jewish? What would that be? Well, how about when he sees you wake up the first morning? He sees you wake up the first morning, and... Uh, the first thing you do is you say a prayer, I give thanks to you, uh, I give thanks before you, uh, you king of the universe who has returned to me my soul and my spirit and given me another day. That's a Jewish prayer upon rising in the morning. And uh, your, your invisible private detective jots down in his notebook that he sees you doing that prayer. The next thing is he sees that... Uh, you get up and uh, you pour water from a cup over each of your hands three times. And the reason for that is longer than I can go into at length here, but it is an understanding of something we call tame, which for lack of a better translation, I cannot do anything better than an overwhelming and impactful but subconscious awareness of death to the extent that sleep is like a little bit of that and banishing that from certain parts of the body like the fingers running water is best and there are reasons why that is best achieved with the muscles of your own hand rather than through the pressure hydraulics of the department of water and power but at any rate if the detective sees you washing your hands that way, he'll make another little note in his book. And then he sees you putting on a four-cornered garment with the tassels and saying your morning prayers and putting the phylacteries on your arm and on your head. We call them tefillin. And, uh, and he jots down in his note these things again. Then he sees you going to breakfast and you're in a, a hotel restaurant and the waiter offers uh, bacon and eggs, and you turn it down. The waiter says, can I get you something else? And this man says, no, uh, I eat only kosher food, so I'm only really able to have a cup of coffee and some cornflakes. Uh, the detective jots down in his little notebook. Again, this is one piece of evidence after another that this guy is Jewish. And so it goes on during the course of the day. And uh, he reports back and he says, yeah, there's no question about it. This guy is Jewish. That, my friends, is pretty much what defines it. Uh, he then sees the man 
settle down for a, a, a half an hour or an hour of Bible study in the evening. Yeah, that, that, that's another indication. And so it goes. Uh, these are more reliable indications of Jewish. Now, look, I know that I, I have some good friends who are lovely people who do none of those things I've just described and who would be horrified to hear me say what I've just said because I'm casting aspersions on whether they're Jewish or not. And again, if that's what you heard, you heard wrong. I am telling you that you yourself are the only one to make that decision. I'm telling you that this is what constitutes the definition of Judaism. Now, if you have another definition of Judaism, hey, please go to my website at rabbidaniellappin.com, write to me, and tell me another definition that works for you. Please know I'm open to it because nothing I'm telling you is 100% definitive that there's no other definition. As you know, I've, I've suggested as well that somebody who self-identifies as Jewish in really tough times, well, I'd, I'd, I'd accept he's Jewish. Yeah, I think he probably would be. Uh, you'd have to be a strongly believing and committed Jew to admit to being Jewish in tough times. So... Um, so <laughs> Um, so I realize, again, I can only say nobody appointed me. God certainly didn't appoint me to decide if you are Jewish or not. You can decide that for yourself. You feel Jewish in your heart. Some people use that definition. Other Jews disparage that and say you're a cardiac Jew. Uh, so Jews argue about these things. Don't think we don't. But uh, in the final analysis, it's not as if there's a list of five things you have to believe and then you're Jewish. That's not what does it. That's not what does it. It's your lifestyle. It's the things you do. It's how you relate to God and the Bible. Those are the things that really do matter. Uh, or to put it another way, to clarify, Judaism is not the circumcised wing of the Democratic Party. No, it isn't. It's, um, it is not what you believe. It's how you live. And again, it's important to know and to remember that when Jews abandon the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it's not as if they just become neutral. They don't. They become deep and committed converts to the church of secular liberalism. And... Um, and, and they are, they, they remain ethnically Jewish, and they'll tell you they're proud Jews if times are good. But their value system is defined by the progressive values of socialism, not by the moral matrix of Moses. And now, back to the starting question of why is it that such a disproportionate number of anti-Trump crusaders in Congress are Jewish? Well, let me tell you. The answer is because the majority of self-identifying Jews in America are secular liberal, atheistically pro progressive. That's the majority of them. It's uh, only a minority, maybe 25%, 
um, that are loyal and faithful to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, for the most part, <clears throat> those do not go into national politics. They don't. Why? Because one of the most absolutely fundamentally important things about being a Jew is living and dying for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is hugely important. And that's why many, many, many hundreds of thousands of Jews every Friday evening as the sun goes down turn off their computers, turn off their phones. And this even goes for Jewish guys who, who like, don't want to live without their phones, right? They, they look at their phones first thing in the morning. They look at their phones last thing at night. But come Friday evening, they turn off those phones. Believe me, I, I mean, I know this is hard to believe because you all know what screen addiction is. But um, uh, Jewish guys turn off, and ladies, turn off all electronics as the sun goes down on Friday afternoon. And they do not touch them again until after dark on Saturday night. 25 hours of utter freedom from all electronics. That's part of what goes into observing the Sabbath. Now, if, uh, if you are a serious and committed Jew, you wouldn't go into national politics because campaigning has to go on seven days a week. And if Congress has a session running over the weekend, as they sometimes do, then you have to be there on Saturday as well. These things are known and understood. And so this is why you don't find committed uh, observant Jews going into national politics. They do go into local politics, but that's much more manageable. Um, but you don't have, we never, ha we never ever have had a, uh, a uh, Torah committed Jew in national politics. <clears throat> Again, some people say, well, uh, Joe Lieberman was a senator for many years and he was a vice presidential, and he said that he was a religious Jew. To which all I can say is, number one, God did never appoint me to determine who is Jewish and who isn't. And number two, I don't go on what people say, particularly politicians. I only go on what they do, enough said. And so, um, uh, yeah, um, religious and Bible-believing Jews do not go into national politics which means that the Jews that do go into national politics are not surprisingly all of the other variety. Churchill called one variety of Jew the divine and the other variety of Jew the diabolical. Okay, so that's kind of where it's at. And because they are ardent believers, again, as Churchill pointed out, in spite of the fact that it was pretty obvious in the 1920s that the Bolsheviks in, Germ in Russia, who had uh, fomented the Russian Revolution, uh, 1917 and 1918, it was so clear that they would eventually turn on the Jews. Nonetheless, Jews were hugely influential in the uh, leadership of the Bolshevik movement. Yes, Jews are always true believers, either in the divine or the diabolical. And this is what is so important to understand about Jews if you want to understand how the world really works. That's right. Now, um, I'm also going to want to tell you something about the murder of 
a Jewish man and a Jewish woman in a kosher grocery store in Jersey City, New Jersey, last Tuesday. And uh, <clears throat> uh, before I discuss that, I want to tell you that my wife Susan Lappin and I are going to do a live broadcast on Facebook this coming Wednesday night, December the 18th. It's going to be at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 6 p.m. Pacific. Where about on Facebook? Well, that's easy. There's a Facebook page called Friends of Rabbi Daniel and Susan Lappin. Friends of Rabbi Daniel and Susan Lappin. And uh, on that page, we're going to do a live broadcast this Wednesday night, December the 19th, December the 18th, um, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. The topic Susan and I are going to be talking about is confronting the war on money and marriage. Yep, confronting the war on money and marriage. So uh, calendar it for this Wednesday night, December the 18th at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. And it's on the Facebook page, Friends of Rabbi Daniel and Susan Lappin. We'll be taking your questions and comments as well. So very much looking forward to having a chance to be together with you then. <clears throat> okay, so um, on, uh, on a Tuesday afternoon, um, a black man and a black woman started shooting as they walked towards a kosher grocery store in Jersey City, uh, murdering the wife of the owner murdering a clerk in the store and murdering a customer. Um, and they'd already murdered a policeman uh, 10 minutes earlier, a few miles away. So uh, this was a bad thing. And it resulted in a tremendous alarm um, throughout among American Jews. As you know, I never like using the word the Jewish community. Right, you know I don't liking like using that phrase because it's misleading. It's basically promoting a lie. It suggests that there is something called the American Jewish community. Well, I've just devoted a good part of the show so far to explaining that there could hardly be a bigger divide between two groups of Jews in the United States of America. Yes, there are some Jews near the borderline of both camps that. Uh, are um, not firmly entrenched anywhere. But by and large, the, uh, the division is a very strong one. And, um, and, and, and let, me, you know, let me just give you a couple of the areas in which these two parts of American Jews argue, and in this it reflects the argument between secular progressives and religious conservatives in America at large. And this is why it is that I have much more in common with my black pastor friend at a church near Washington, D.C., um, than I do with a Reform Jewish rabbi who can speak Hebrew. Because what connects me to people is not tribal or racial it's beliefs and values that's why i'm connected to people 
at its root, that's what makes a family work. You know what it's like in a, in a family if one of the children in the family uh, throws the essential beliefs and value system of the family in their face and, and rebels. It's an impossible, unpleasant situation in the family. The fact that they're the same skin color is irrelevant. The fact that they're the same blood is irrelevant. The fact that they're the same uh, race, it's all irrelevant. All that matters is, are they of the same value system? That's what brings human closeness. That's what it is. And, um, and so, yes, if, uh, if there's somebody who is um, white like I am and circumcised like I am, and speaks Hebrew like I do, and even knows a little bit of the Bible in a secular, so academic sort of a way, but who is confident that there is no God who ever created heaven and earth, who ever took the Jews out of Egypt, who ever gave the Torah to Moses on Mount Sinai, but there is a pastor with a different sin color from mine who may or may not be circumcised, I have no idea, um, but who absolutely knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Bible is from God and uh, he believes it as I do, well, obviously I'm closer to him. What's there to talk about? It's, it's pretty clear. And some people, well, Hitler would make the... T who? Since when does Hitler have the job of discerning who is who and what is what? I never was appointed, neither was he. So uh, none of that is relevant. And so... Uh, Torah-believing Jews, Bible-believing Jews, as well as religious conservatives in America, differ from secular liberals in this respect. Um, we believe that humans are both body and soul, and that we can best be known by both our public and our private actions, which taken together grant a glimpse into our soul, and that we human beings have shame, and that shame is a good God-given emotion, which is there as, a, uh, as a, a, a protective barrier to stop us doing things we know we shouldn't. Secular liberals believe that the human being is only body, and uh, the only part of his actions that are relevant are his public actions. Private actions are as irrelevant as the private actions of a squirrel. And uh, as animals, we have no shame and shouldn't have any shame. Um, secular uh, religious conservatives, whether Jewish or Christian, believe that man is God's last word in creation and is duty-bound to attempt to control all of nature, including his own nature. Factories are as valuable as forests, and cities are better than swamps. We prefer old ideas, and we love new things, Secular liberals tend to believe nature is paramount and its natural functions must be sacramentalized. Technological progress is usually bad and they prefer new ideas and they kind of like old antiques. We believe that human joy derives from deep and lasting happiness of which sensual pleasure with appropriate restraint is one legitimate element, right? That's what human joy is. Secular liberals believe nothing must be allowed to repress sensual and erotic pleasure. 
religious conservatives, both Jewish and Christian, believe, I, I would say it this way, the present exists but is important only as a magical bridge that links the past to the future. Progressive secular liberals and atheistic progressives believe the present must be seized and experienced regardless of all consequences. The present is all that really matters. We say the value of all effort and all achievement must be measured against an ultimate definition of goodness. God and goodness provide a framework of objectivity against which even art can be appraised. Secular liberals and atheistic progressives say art and beauty need no framework. They are self-defining and thus by definition they are always good. We believe people alone are capable of evil. Not machines, not guns, not institutions. Only people are capable of evil actions. Secular liberals and atheistic progressives believe only groups of people, corporations, organizations, and institutions can do wrong. People are nothing but innocent victims of nameless vectors that impact their lives. Religious conservatives believe that poor people and other underdogs are not necessarily automatically virtuous. Poverty does not equal virtue. Secular liberals and atheistic progressives believe that people with money or power, other than those who devote themselves to public service in politics, but other than that, people with money or power are morally suspect. That's just a, a few of the definitions or a few of the distinctions that I believe exist between religious conservatives and secular liberals or progressives or atheistic progressives. And so, um, back to the murder on December the 10th. And here is um, what I have to say. Yes, there was an outcry that anti-Semitism is growing in America. And I, I know that this is, again, going to stimulate upset among people who listen, friends I respect, and who won't agree with me on this, and that's okay. Uh, to me, uh, difference of ideas doesn't necessarily mean we're not friends. Different value systems entirely is something else, but that doesn't mean everyone who subscribes to the same value system necessarily has to agree on everything. That would create a rather bland and monotonic uh, society. No. But uh, let me give you a little bit of the background. And so uh, a number of, small number of Orthodox Jewish families from Brooklyn uh, were finding it um, crowded and difficult to live in Brooklyn, expensive, etc. And so they moved to Jersey City where no Jews lived. And they moved into uh, areas that had been black, and there were there was about 20 or 30 families, maybe 40, no more than that. And they bought properties, and they started renovating them, and they started opening stores and creating lives for themselves in this neighborhood. Now, immediately there began a very vocal cry of, oh, gentrification, and the white people have come to drive out the black people. 
uh, the reality is that it is hard to see how their arrival did anything other than improve the situation. Um, crime in those areas that they populated went down. Uh, business improved, right? This has been proven again and again and again. When Jews are in a country, things improve. Now, admittedly, that's when divine Jews are there, and divine Jews also have coming with them very often diabolical, as Churchill said. And that creates other problems. But that wasn't present in Jersey City. Um, and along came these guys. Were they targeting the Jewish store? I don't doubt that for a moment. However, here's what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is that um, this, I don't believe, I don't believe the real problem here is anti-Semitism. You see, Jews are visible and identifiable. So when Jews get targeted... It's easy for us to say, oh, anti-Semitism. But what happens when defenseless women get targeted? Because just a day or two later, a young 19-year-old Barnard College girl was brutally murdered by a group of young thugs um, near Harlem, uh, north of Central Park in New York City. Okay? Now... Those were not the only homicides in the New York, New Jersey area that week. Um, there were at least another 15. Do you hear me? In the week that two Jews are murdered in Jersey City and a girl, a college, female college student, murdered in Manhattan, another 15 people are killed in New York and New Jersey. So we have an absolute epidemic, uncontrolled violence, by the way, in that same period of time, uh, do you have any idea of how many rapes, attempted rapes, robberies, assaults? Do you have any idea of how many times one human being was physically attacked by one or more other human beings? Dozens and dozens. The figures are amazing to look at. As a matter of fact, in 2018, which was the last complete year for which we have figures, there were 562 murders, homicides in New York, and 286 in New Jersey. That's a total of 848, nearly 1,000 murders in a year in this area around Jersey City. You follow what I'm saying? We, we cry, and, and this is one of the mistakes that uh, Jews who are secular, atheistic Jews— cry, oh, this anti-Semitism. But no, it's your policies that you have imposed on New York and New Jersey for more than 50 years that has produced the cruel and brutal young thugs who prey with impunity on law-abiding citizens of every religion, of every color, of every gender. And so it's, it's really not right for you secular Jews who've been voting Democrat all these years to suddenly cry, oh, anti-Semitism. What? So two out of a thousand murders, no, and it's more than two, but, uh, but a small proportion of a thousand murders a year 
are committed against Jews, and those are the only ones you're worried about? Why don't you worry about the thousand who are murdered who were not Jewish, but they were murdered for exactly the same policies? In other words, what I'm saying is that these two lowlifes who, who murdered the, um, the Jewish man and woman in the grocery store in Jersey City on Tuesday, uh, December the 10th, um, the reason is not anti-Semitism. The reason is not that these were fueled by some deep and desire to wreak vengeance on the Jewish people. They're barely functional human beings. They are the result of 50 years of liberal policies in New York and New Jersey. That's what they're the result of in every possible way. They were raised without families. They were not part of families. Marriage wasn't a part of their culture. Um, the, uh, the, the violence going unpunished as, again, as a part of liberalism, that criminals only commit crime because of poverty or because of racism or because of this, and a reluctance to punish it and punish it properly, that is what has produced an absolute unprecedented pogrom of violence against all law-abiding people because these cold-eyed killers, they can tell who to pick on. You can be quite sure they don't pick on anybody likely to fight back. They don't pick on anybody who himself is part of a gang. For the most part, they're picking on completely defenseless citizens who count on government for one thing. We don't count on government to solve climate change. We don't count on government to solve international problems. We don't count on government for anything. Other, please, just keep us safe on the streets. That's all we're asking for. Everybody. And so the, uh, the sad point which is not going to win me any friends in my among my own Jewish people such as the extent to which there is such a thing as a Jewish people uh, is that um, it is completely wrong for progressive Jews to denounce anti-semitism and to denounce these murders as a manifestation of anti-Jewish hatred I don't think that's what it is I think it's a manifestation of social breakdown and um, uh, law and order breakdown, uh, the decline in the police and the respect with which they're uh, viewed, all of these things, 50 years of liberal dominance in the governments of city and state, New York and New Jersey, that is what, is pr what produces nearly a 1,000 homicides a year. A certain number of them are Jewish, yes, they are, but the policies are policies that liberal and progressive Jews voted for. You voted these politicians into power who went soft. You voted judges into power who were soft on crime. You did that because you bought into not Jewish values, not Bible values, but the values of progressive liberalism and socialism and communism. That's what you bought into. And that has produced a society where a thousand people a year in just these two states have to be mourned as innocent, defenseless victims of violent, brutal crime committed by predators with no conscience whatsoever.
that, I'm afraid, is the reality of what we're up against today in the United States of America. It's sad, and uh, I thought long and hard before deciding whether to talk candidly about this topic. But as I say, you can't understand how the world really works if you don't know anything about Jews. And you don't know anything about Jews if you simply do not understand what Winston Churchill wrote about so eloquently, the conflict between good and evil, which proceeds unceasingly in the breast of man, nowhere reaches such an intensity as in the Jewish race. Yes, Sir Winston Churchill, that is unfortunately true. I wish it weren't. We've got a, um, a website, rabbidaniellappin.com, and uh, I welcome you there. Uh, you can read enchanting back issues of Thought Tools, of Susan's Musings, of Ask the Rabbi columns. Uh, you can also write to us by hitting on the Contact Us button, and uh, we love hearing from you. And um, especially stop by the store, because I am sure that you will find a resource there the purchase of which will benefit you and your family just as it will benefit me and mine. Finally, the uh, live broadcast on Facebook. Please do join us. The Facebook page is Friends of Rabbi Daniel and Susan Lappin. Got it? Make a note of it. Friends of Rabbi Daniel and Susan Lappin. Go there this Wednesday night, which is December the 19th, uh, December the 18th, I'm sorry, Wednesday, December the 18th, and I... I know, obviously, many of you are going to hear this after that. Well, we'll be doing it again. Just um, stay in close touch. But meanwhile, here we are, uh, friends of Rabbi Daniel and Susan Lappin is our Facebook page. And it's on there that we will be doing a live broadcast this Wednesday, December 18th, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 6 p.m. Pacific. See you then, and we look forward to fielding your comments and your questions. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. Thanks for being part of the show. I want to wish you a great week of good times with your faith, with your finances, with your family, and with your friends. God bless. Spilling ancient solutions to modern problems in areas of family, faith, friendship, and finance. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin, On Demand, on the Blaze Radio Network.